This is NPR News, and I'm Angela Davis. So glad to have you join us today. I'm sure you've heard tomorrow is Give to the Max Day, and you can make a big impact for NPR News starting now. In celebration of Give to the Max Day, an exciting match is starting. Make your first ever donation to NPR News today, and NPR members who donate it before you will triple your support through the NPR Member Fund. So, Your gift of $5 today becomes $15. Your gift of $5 per month becomes $15 per month for a whole year. And if you're already a member, your additional gift will be doubled. Doesn't that sound great? Amplify your impact when you donate right now. You don't have to wait. Act now while these funds remain. Give to the max at mprnews.org. Or you can call us at 800-227-2811. Okay, if you are a regular listener of this program, you know that on Wednesdays, I like to talk about health and wellness. And this morning, we're talking about sleep. Last week, we all turned the clock back as we came off of daylight saving time. And maybe you felt a little bit more alert and and, uh, patient the next day because you got that extra hour of rest. I, I did. But now what? We know that sleep is like a key part of staying healthy, and yet many of us are not getting enough of it. More than a quarter of American adults don't get the recommended seven hours of sleep a night. That's according to the Centers for Disease Control. And older adults are even more likely to toss and turn. So this hour, we're going to talk about why sleep is so important and how you can get a better night's rest. With me in the studio this morning, one of my favorite guests, we have Dr. Michael Howell, a neurologist at the University of Minnesota Medical School and M-Health Fairview. He treats patients with a variety of sleep disorders. Dr. Howell, welcome back to the program. Oh, it's great to see you, Angela. How are you doing? You're looking well rested over there. I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> uh, I'm about ready to turn 50, and so I'm getting ready for that. Okay, right. It gets serious, right, <laughs> as we get older. Um, so I mentioned that coming off of daylight saving time, uh, it meant that many of us got that uh, an hour more of rest that, that one night. But overall, how does that one hour shift in our schedule every year affect our sleep, affect our bodies? Well, for most of us who have a bit of a circadian delay, that means if given the opportunity, you'd be a little bit of a night owl. You'd go to bed a little later. You'd wake up a little later. Uh, if you ever have trouble falling asleep, if you ever need an alarm clock to waken up, that extra hour goes a long way. You feel a lot better. Mm-hmm. For some people who are naturally earlier, people who naturally fall asleep, maybe while well reading to the kids in the evening, or they were waking up at 4 o'clock in the morning they can't get back to sleep, that extra hour is a problem, actually, because now all of a sudden they're not waking up at 4. They're waking up at 3. Mm. So it's mm-hmm. it, it really is, like with everything, there's an incredible diverse response to like changes like this. And uh, help us define circadian rhythm mm-hmm. uh, as we talk about sleep. What is that exactly? Your circadian rhythm is your body's 24-hour clock. So right now, Angela, your body, every single cell in your body is trying to understand where in the planet it's on? Where where in the planet it is? What time zone are you in? Mm-hmm. Uh, is it is this the central time zone? Is this the Eastern Pacific? Um, and sometimes uh, for people who are really struggling with these, their body clock can be, you know, half of a world away from where they are, where they should be. Wow! And we're we're born with this. Like we just we we come out with a certain um, type of way our body likes to to sleep. To a large degree, it's your circadian rhythm is like your height and your eye color. It mm-hmm. is what it is. You can adjust it, however, if you are mindful of, say, I'm maybe a little bit of a night person. If given the opportunity, I'd go to bed later and wake up 
later. You can use light in the morning and you can use melatonin to pull it a little bit earlier so that it better aligns with, say, if you need to get up and uh, be on air at nine o'clock in the morning, for example. So it seems to me that that lack of enough sleep is a problem that has worsened in recent years, maybe due to stress, maybe a lot of reasons. And have you found that to be true as someone who, who studies sleep? Yes. And most likely it's probably due to the light exposure to all of the screens. Screens we're exposed mm-hmm. to in the evening is is tricking our brain into thinking that the sun is still out. So uh, if it's if it's nine o'clock, ten o'clock, eleven o'clock, if we're on our phones, and I'm I'm guilty for this as as mm-hmm. well, uh, or you know watching a screen, it, it's it's very it can be very difficult for our brains to fall asleep. So maybe even if if you're working or you're doing it like socially, so the so it used to be I, I think of screens. You know, years ago, we were worried about televisions, but mm-hmm. now it's the phones and the laptops. It's iPad. It's a lot of different screens. Sure. We put it all together. Right. We evolved where in 12 hours of darkness every day, and we we do not have 12 hours of darkness anymore. And so as a neurologist, uh, I love it when you talk about how uh, what happens to our brain when we sleep um, and, and, and why sleep is so important to our overall health. So what happens to our brain when we're sleeping. Sure. So as the day goes by, 100 billion neurons with 100 trillion synapses. So those are all the connections between your brain cells that make you, you. Um, Those are constantly building throughout the course of the day. So they're growing and growing and growing and making new connections. But as it turns out, your brain is an enclosed space, so it can't grow anymore. So there's, there's a limit to how many new connections your brain can make. So during sleep, particularly during deep, slow-wave, refreshing sleep, that's when our brain prunes away all of the noise that builds up over the course of the day. In addition to that, during deep, slow-wave sleep, we also clean out all of the wastes that build up inside our brain over the course of the day. So your cells have metabolic waste in your brain, just like they do anywhere else. Uh, And it is during sleep that your brain cells shrink by about 30%, which is wild to think about, but that your brain cells shrink at night when you're sleeping. But what that does is that increases the space in between your cells to wash out all of the toxins that build up at night. And these toxins can include uh, uh, molecules like beta amyloid, which builds up in Alzheimer's disease. So kind of the combination of this cleaning process, as well as the pruning process, when it works well, means you wake up with a a brain that feels refreshed, and the noise from the last day has been wiped away. And I've heard also discussions uh, about the other organs in our body, like I Everything needs this rest, needs good sleep. And and for people with heart disease, what should they know about uh, sleep and and, and heart health? Yeah, all of your cells need rest uh, for eight, nine hours a day in order to function well when we're awake. If we're not sleeping well, and the the most common condition here is probably obstructive sleep apnea, uh, that means that your heart cells and all of your muscle tissues uh, are unable to get the rest they need. So they're not only are they not getting the rest, but if they have obstructive sleep apnea, which is a breathing problem at night when they're sleeping, that then means that their muscles are then not only not getting rest, they're actually working in overdrive at night, which is very stressful on the heart. And one of the reasons why untreated sleep apnea can lead to high blood pressure and cardiovascular disease. 
So this is this is serious stuff, right? We should never underestimate um, not getting enough sleep. I think we tend to think about, oh, it makes you cranky, but it's it's way deeper than that. If I may, though, I think I think the pop uh, our population certainly the listeners are have a much better understanding of how important sleep is now than it was, say, fifteen thirty years ago. So mm-hmm. I think I think the I think the word is out on how important sleep is for our well being and the impact of sleep on mental health. What do we know about that? Oh, it's it's critically important for mental health all the way throughout the lifespan. Uh, just taking the most ex- uh, obvious example, so teenagers who are already running in the red zone pretty high when it comes to anxiety and concerns mm-hmm. for depression anyway, uh, we know that sleep and having a aligning your circadian rhythm, that's your body's 24-hour clock, about as well as you can get it, will help, will help address partially help address anxieties, help help address mood, um, even things like eating disorders and substance abuse as well. So how they handle the day, how they approach things. Right. right. Yeah. So like as your as your brain clears out all of that noise, it leaves you with, with if you get good night if you get a good night of sleep, it leaves you with better perspective on how to handle the stresses that come in, up the next day. What are some some signs that we're not getting enough good sleep? Um, how do you how do we see people uh, feel and behave differently um, when they're sleep deprived? Um, ingesting the most commonly uh, ingested st- drug on the planet, which is caffeine. <laughs> mm, oh, so people tend to you know go to caffeine is to, to oh, fix sure. it. So yes. drink it. And there, then, so what's wrong with that? I love, and I love espresso myself, Angela. So I'm as, I'm as guilty as anyone, <laughs> but this is, you know, the fact that there is a coffee shop on every corner illustrates that we are self-medicating. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to that irritability, uh, just sleepiness. So um, slow reaction times, particularly relevant for driving. Mm-hmm. So motor vehicle accidents, but also judgment uh, and split split second decision making uh, on athletes as well. So we've talked before about the importance for sleep and athletic performance. Uh, if you if you are trying to be a great athlete, uh, good sleep is really important. And I, I always feel like I, I have an image of a toddler having a tantrum when I'm thinking, oh, you know, she just needs a nap. But as a there's an adult version of that too of just the behavior not being what it can be because someone is sleep deprived. Right. I mean if you've ever if you've ever had uh, a coworker who's just not quite reading the room mm-hmm. appropriately, oftentimes that can be poor sleep. Mm-hmm. We we lose our emotional intelligence um, of just kind of recognizing the emotional state of other individuals in our proximity when we're sleep deprived. Right. And I will acknowledge that could be me. Could be me too. <laughs> On some days. <laughs> and then, and then what are some of the long-term health problems of not getting enough sleep? I mean, we, we talked about, you know, heart and, and our organs need this rest, but, but long-term, what do you see? Uh, so everything from cardiovascular disease, obesity, diabetes, and, and very frighteningly malignancy. We know that um, from the Nurses Health Study, which has been a longstanding study, that um, individuals who are sleep-deprived have a higher risk of um, malignancies such as breast cancer. And so, uh, Dr. Howell, I know a lot of people can relate to this. You feel tired, but you still have a problem falling asleep or staying asleep. This mm-hmm. happened to me last night. I won't disclose why, what was going on. <laughs> but I knew I was I was behaving badly when, <laughs> when this happened. I woke up in the middle of the night uh, and couldn't go back to sleep. Uh, and it, it was sort of like we just can't turn our brains off sometimes. And so why, why is that? Right. So the trouble falling asleep, trouble staying asleep are often two different phenomena. Trouble, trouble staying asleep can be related to a circadian rhythm that is too far advanced. So what I would usually ask someone, 
they say they woke up at three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning, couldn't fall back asleep. I'd say, how were you feeling at seven, eight o'clock in the evening? Were you tired? Were you sleepy at that time? Um, and if that's the case, that usually means that their circadian rhythm has moved earlier. And instead of just trying to keep them asleep until six, seven o'clock in the morning, you'd want to move their entire rhythm later. Um, other other times, um, certainly alcohol is notorious at just, uh, even in moderation, can contribute to uh, an inability to stay asleep at night. I know when I drink in moderation, my sleep is far more, much more significantly fragmented. Other individuals struggle with sleep disorders, such as sleep apnea, can cause people to wake up and have trouble falling asleep. And in addition to that, it can be just aging. As we get older, uh, we are more and more aware of the awakenings that we normally have at night, mm-hmm. um, which in and of themselves are fine as long as you're able to fall back asleep. What, what's really concerning and frustrating is when you're just lying there staring at the ceiling and nothing's happening. Mm-hmm. And with you know drinking uh, alcoholic beverages late at night uh, – Initially, it can make you feel just tired, like, oh, I can't wait to go to bed. But that's typically a scenario where people will wake up maybe, you know, then four hours later and can't go back to sleep. Right. As alcohol withdrawals to your system, and again, this is even just drinking in moderation, your sleep is more fragmented, and also you have more vivid dreams. So if you've ever noticed, sometimes you, sometimes after a, a little bit of alcohol, you an individual may wake up and... They've had kind of a somewhat frustrating or distressing dream, and then they're not only awake, but they're also a little anxious mm-hmm. as well. So what role um, does stress or, or worrying about a situation um, play in keeping us awake? There's that whole phrase like, uh, you know, what do you uh, – what keeps you up at night, right? Right. Um, so what have you seen stress do? So stress undoubtedly contributes to us having trouble falling asleep and trouble staying asleep. And to some degree, acute stress is sleep fragmentation associated with acute stress is actually pretty normal. I mean, if you've ever had an argument with a partner or maybe you know a family member is sick, you're probably not going to be sleeping particularly well. And that's mm-hmm. that's that's okay as your brain is trying to process. What we really worry about is, okay – what happens the next night? What happens after that acute stress goes away? Are you able to get recovery sleep? Mm-hmm. And that's what, and so what I, I try to let people know is if on occasion with a you know, big test coming up uh, or whatever, whatever the situation may be, if you're having trouble sleeping, that's okay as long as we don't let it turn into a chronic problem. What is recovery sleep? <clears throat> Oh, recover. So, anytime you've been sleep deprived, if you were if you were traveling, uh, if you had to work late, uh, study you, uh, tests, young ex- people, mm-hmm. exactly, or just most commonly, just you work, you know, getting up early during the week and then getting a little recovery sleep on the weekends. Uh, your brain can catch up on sleep up to a point, probably about two hours each day on the weekend. So, for example, if you have to wake up at seven in the morning um, during the week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you get can sleep in until nine, both Saturday and Sunday, for a conventional work week, and you feel pretty good with that. That's probably okay. Uh, on the other hand, if you are finding that you're sleeping until noon or one or two o'clock in the yeah. afternoon, <laughs> that, <laughs> I don't condone that, but <laughs> it has happened. <laughs> that that tend to, tends to indicate uh, more more significant sleep deprivation that's going to catch up with you over time. You have any thoughts about naps? One of my colleagues this morning asked me about about that. They're like, "Ask Doctor Howell about napping." I'm a fan. 
Yeah? I, I love naps. I mean, you know, human beings are natural nappers. And if you look at most cultures that have some religious prohibition against caffeine, mm-hmm. they're usually napping cultures. So caffeine in large part, caffeine energy drinks, we are masking often our natural napping tendency. So if you've ever noticed after noon or after lunch kind of feeling drowsy, mm-hmm. that's not lunch. That is your natural uh, circadian dip in your sleepiness that tends to occur for almost everyone. So if people didn't have, you know, requirements at work or at school, would it be best to just do what your body wants to do and take a nap? Right. And so the best way to do it is to first understand, Angela, where your particular napping tendency is. Could be one in the afternoon, could be two, could be three. It's going to be different than myself. It's going to be different from Jacob. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then just practice it. So just take 30 minutes, close your eyes, if you can, not most of us most of us are in a job where this just isn't possible, but mm-hmm. if you can, just close your eyes, practice. Don't put pressure on yourself to fall asleep, but if you do that consistently enough, you will start getting little power naps that make you feel much more refreshed as the days go by. I had a situation yesterday. Um, I had the the live show in the morning and then I had an event last night and I I for an hour, I don't know that I even fell asleep, but I had an hour. I set my alarm to make sure I got up. But I had an hour where I laid down and closed my eyes. I don't think I fell asleep. Is there value in just like resting like yes. that? Yes. And often we don't recognize when we fall asleep. Wow. So a stage one sleep, if, if I woke you up out of stage one sleep, you'd probably swear to me you didn't fall asleep. However, mm. uh, one, one thing that happens is we get chilly. Our bodies, right when we fall asleep, our core body temperature drops about a half a degree Celsius. And so if you've ever closed your eyes and kind of and woken up a little bit and you were chilly, uh, congratulations, you just went into stage one sleep. Oh, I think I've done that at my desk, Jacob. Have you noticed that? <laughs> so, um, all right, uh, insomnia. Some people say, I have insomnia. Uh, what is the a- actual like medical definition of insomnia? Right, so insomnia is difficulty initiating or staying asleep. For, for It's usually considered someone who, uh, for an acute reason, they were not able to sleep well, such as the stress we were talking about before. Mm-hmm. But then once the stress goes away, they're still having trouble falling asleep. So they're lying there in a dark room, trying to fall asleep, staring at the ceiling, and it's a miserable experience. It's the worst, right? Right. It, it, you rarely think about how great your life is going when you're sitting, when you're lying there in that circumstance. And what the trap people get into is they then start thinking that they are going to trick their brain into falling asleep um, uh, by just willing themselves to fall asleep. That does not work. And so my advice is, is if you find yourself in that situation, the best thing to do is to get out of bed, uh, go do something you enjoy. You can't do work. You can't do any cleaning. You can't, can't make any noise. Don't do emails at that time. Just do, what do you, what do you enjoy doing? Listening to a little music, reading a book, try to do it in dim light, try to stay off your screens if possible, and then just be mindful when you're when your brain is going to be letting you fall asleep later. It will come, and that does mean that tonight you might sleep a little less, but tomorrow night, because you did you because you approached this properly, um, you're gonna have a better chance of falling asleep at an at a conventional time tomorrow. So who is at a higher risk of having insomnia and, and why is that? Um as it's it's more common as we get older. Uh women have a higher risk of insomnia than men. Um, and it's, it, it, we, we don't understand all of the factors at play with it. 
but we but we know that you know increased anxiety and medica and commonly prescribed medications, by the way, can frequently oh, yeah, contribute to a med- side effect, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and I I want to learn about some of the those sleep problems you treat. Um, what's the most common reason someone goes to a sleep doctor uh, for help? That would be insomnia. Uh, mm. The second would be obstructive sleep apnea, which is the collapse of the upper airway during sleep. Uh, anywhere from 30 to 40 million Americans uh, have clinically significant obstructive sleep apnea and are not being treated. And many of those people are coming to a doctor because they were told to come, because they were snoring, right, and keeping somebody else awake. That is exactly right. They they are often blissfully unaware of their snoring as well as their breathing challenges. They are t- they're frequently tired. But then we are surrounded and swimming in a world of people who are tired, so it's easy not to recognize when it's when it's a problem. And so, what's the big deal if someone snores? Mm-hmm. Um, well, snoring it interferes with your ability. It can interfere with your ability to breathe at night. If your airway is collapsing, uh, this can contribute to increased cardiovascular risk, such as heart attack and stroke, as well as fall asleep motor vehicle accidents. Uh, that's sleep apnea. If you're talking just about snoring, which is 40% of the adult population, the main issue is- Hold it, up. 40% right, of the 40, population snores? Right. Yeah. And it's, and um, so the, it, it means that you are at increased for sleep apnea, but also, do you have a bed partner? Do you like to have a bed partner? <laughs> Uh, if, do you like your bed partner? If you like, do you like, if you enjoy having a bed partner, then you should also be a good bed partner mm-hmm. and take care of your snoring. And has have the treatments for sleep apnea improved? We know, we know about the CPAP machines. Uh, I see ads now. Um, there are surgeries, things they can implant that help. Mm-hmm. What are you seeing that really is effective? Yeah, so that that procedure is called in, the Inspire procedure. It was actually developed here in in, Minis- in the Twin Cities in Minnesota in 2011-2012. FDA approved in 2015. It's a pacemaker for the tongue. Uh, it helps move. Yes, it's an implantable device. It helps move the tongue forward. Um, it's a good treatment in the in an appropriately identified patient population. So of all the people out there with sleep apnea, it's a good treatment probably in about 5 to 10% of people. So pretty small amount of number of people, but it does work. So the people with severe sleep apnea. They got to um, be they have need to be in a goldilocks zone, not not too little sleep apnea. They mm-hmm. their their body weight can't be too high. Uh other options often neglected uh, uh by many physicians because it's a blind spot for us is dental treatment for sleep apnea. You can go to a sleep dentist and they can craft an oral appliance that looks a lot like a mouth athletic mouth guard. Mm-hmm. You wear that at night and that can take care of a lot of snoring and mild and moderate sleep apnea. Um, and it's often a blind spot for physicians because we're medical doctors, we're not dentists. Mm. Uh, Dr. Harrell, let's talk more about solutions to our sleep problems. And so uh, we've talked about uh, um, having problems falling asleep at night, uh, waking up in the middle of the night. Um, what are some bedtime routines that are helpful for getting some good sleep. What's going on in the Howell house? You got some teenagers in your house. You yeah, know, I do. What are y'all doing over there to sleep? And I'm <laughs> we're we're not perfect either, but we do the best we can. Um, so we we try to dim the lights down as we're approaching the evening. 
Uh, we keep the phones out of the bedrooms as best as possible. Sometimes there's a little bit of conflict around that. <laughs> Tell us more. <laughs> uh, well, it's just, you know, it's, it's, these devices are quite addictive, especially for all of us, but in particularly for young brains. Um, right. but to get like social media out, at least out of the bedroom and have a, uh, protected time. How much time? How much of a, you know, put it down at, at for 30 us, minutes before going to bed or how much time? For us right now, it's, it's, they need to be out of their, and these are, these are older teenagers. Uh, it's out of the bedroom by 10 o'clock at night. Okay. Uh, if I could, I would, you know, I would probably do it earlier, but then of course there's a lot of negotiation that happens <laughs> in real life parenting. <laughs> um, but routines, is it, um, you know, mm-hmm. taking a shower or bath at night, drinking hot tea? What have you seen work for folks? Uh, well, ex- at, first of all, some degree of exercise uh, at some point in the day, but for a lot of us who are working, like exercise in the evening, a healthy meal. Um, and then if you do happen to get hungry later in the evening, and many people do, something that is something g- good with high protein, um, uh, such as a protein smoothie, uh, can go a long way. That's what I, I have a, uh, uh, peanut butter cacao, uh, protein smoothie that I, I personally enjoy in the evening. Uh, what is that doing? Oh, well, it's just, it's after working out and, um, my, after lifting weights, mm-hmm. uh, I need some protein in order to kind of grow muscle mass. So the relationship between exercise and sleep, what is that? It's it varies. Um, some it's uh, it depends on what time of the day you are best at exercising. Some people are best at exercising in the morning. Some are best at exercising in the evening. Uh, so for but for many of us, myself included, exercise late in the afternoon or early evening definitely can help promote kind of good metabolic health, mm-hmm. um, so that a transition into sleep can be help can be easy. Um, again, what should we avoid doing close to bedtime? So should we not? Like some people exercise at night, and I I find that that gets me too hyped up. So it's if, better for me to do it earlier in the day. If you're a person who then gets wired and can't fall asleep, that's, that's your body telling you something. Mm-hmm. For other people, they do enjoy going for a late evening run or the getting on the Peloton or treadmill or something like that uh, after, after dinner time. Um, otherwise... You know, try to avoid the pitfalls of, you know, avoid caffeine, avoid energy drinks, uh, alcohol. We chatted about that a little bit. Even in moderation, alcohol can lead to uh, sleep fragmentation and worsening snoring. Mm-hmm. Um, try to uh, watch watch your light exposure. Um, these screens are ubiquitous, myself included. Uh, at the very least, dim the dim the screen down as much as possible. And one of the best ways to do that is to turn. If you have to be on your screen, turn the lights off in the room and then d- dim your screen down as much as possible. You mentioned you walk around your home and you dim the lights. Mm-hmm. That makes a difference. Oh, certainly. Well, yes. And oftentimes, it's it's incredible how how frequently f- we forget on how bright the light might be at six, seven, eight o'clock in the evening, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'll walk into my teenager's room at 10 o'clock at night and it, you would, you would think it was two in the afternoon. It's just, it's so bright. Cause it's telling the brain, it's confusing the brain mm-hmm. with all this brightness. Yes. The light is hitting an, a layer of cells in your retina, uh, that the sun is still out. It's telling, sending a signal to your brain that the sun is still out. And that's, this is particularly, uh, a concern for young, healthy brains where the response is very robust. Mm-hmm. As we get a little older, um, the light still has an effect on us, but it's not nearly as strong. Um, 
obviously you're fascinated by the brain because you're a neurologist, but the the brain, um, the body's fascinating. The brain is just, it's it's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is. What what you have, what we all have in between our ears is the most fascinating thing in the, in the known universe. And congratulations, you have one. And let's enjoy it while we can, because of course, it's all very temporary. You uh, shared that you're turning 50 soon. Mm-hmm. Um, aging, what do we need to know? I mean, do you sleep now the way you were sleeping when you were 29? I sleep better now mainly because of all of the all of the effort that I put forward to but it. But you know. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I don't do a lot of the mistakes that we talked about before. I've done all of those, by the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't do those nearly as much anymore. And, but I do, my sleep is, and this is with everyone, especially as we get older, older than 50, um, I wake up a couple times in the middle of the night may need to get a drink of water, may need to go to the bathroom, uh, but I fall, I'll fall asleep again within 10, 15 minutes. I don't worry mm-hmm. about that at all. So waking up itself is fine as long as you're able to fall back asleep. And in the morning, you wake up, you're feeling pretty good. Earlier, we were talking about treatments for sleep apnea, and I wanted to ask you about this one that I've heard about, um, that there are uh, methods, like some people will, will tape their mouth. Uh, is that an effective treatment? Yeah, the idea there is we know that we breathe better when we breathe through our nose alone. If you if you can breathe through your nose alone, it's actually healthier breathing. Uh, your blood pressure doesn't rise as much. Your overall autonomic system is healthier if you can if you can breathe through your nose well. And so, what taping your mouth shut does is it forces you to breathe through your nose. Now, some people can't do that because they may have polyps in their nose. They may have a deviated septum, in which case it's a really good idea to visit with an ear, nose, and throat doctor and just let them take a look up there um, and see if there's anything they can do to take care of that. A lot of people take melatonin. Um, and so what what's the theory behind why that might work? And uh, does it really make a difference in, in your experience? Melatonin is a circadian cue of darkness. So it's a way of it's a way of letting your brain know that the sun has gone down. And so for individuals who are night owls, who are naturally circadian delayed, it can be really helpful. You don't need much, but a milligram, a half a milligram, an, a couple of hours before bedtime can be very useful. On the other hand, let's say you have sleep apnea, let's say you have insomnia, let's say you have a circadian advance, you're a bit of an early bird. Melatonin not only is not going to help, it could actually make you worse. So it helps some people and other people it doesn't. Correct. And how do you find out? Uh, Are you a night owl is the Mm -hmm. question to ask yourself. Or um, if if that's a little too pejorative, one way to say it's like, do I have trouble falling asleep at night when I want to? And do I have trouble waking up in the morning when I want to? More likely than not, you're probably a bit of a night owl. And you might want to try, just try a little bit of over-the-counter melatonin. Uh, also, in drugstores, we see over-the-counter sleep medications. Do they work? Um, I don't want to pick on one. But the one that comes to mind is Tylenol PM. Right. And there are some other ones. Too. Yeah, these, are, these all are almost either antihistamines or anticholinergic medications. They are sedating. They tend to work for a few days. Then quickly, people tend to develop a tolerance to them. Mm-hmm. As we get older, they can cause confusion and falls. So as a general rule, it would be best to avoid them. What, why does the as we get older? It never That sentence never ends well. <laughs> da, da. Well, the, the reason when you when you get a really good night of sleep, that is because your brain was asking for deep, deep slow waves because of all of the brain activity you had during the day. Mm-hmm. So if you if you want to sleep well at night, one of the best things you can do is you can do 
wakefulness well during the day. So stay stimulated, uh, be engaged, get exercise, mm-hmm. um, have meaningful social interactions with people, um, and just follow your curiosities. And that also can help you sleep better at night. That makes sense. Right. Um, and how do we know when it's time to see a sleep doctor to get uh, treatment for trouble with sleep? How do you find a sleep doctor? Yeah, if you are if you are so sleepy that you have uh, trouble maintaining alertness and um, alertness and awareness during the day, particularly if you're falling asleep while driving, it's mm. time to it's time to see someone. Do you hear that? People tell you they fall asleep while driving. Um, well, we we know people fall asleep while driving. People understandably may be a little hesitant to disclose this because they're mm. embarrassed about it. Uh, but yes, one out of every twenty four people. Uh, who are drivers admit that they've fallen asleep in the last 30 days while driving. That's terrifying. Yes. Yes. So just slow down. Let somebody let somebody cut into traffic in front of you. Let them go. It's mm-hmm. not worth it. We're all going to the same place anyway. Um, yeah. And last question. I know some mm-hmm. people, this is the time of the year, uh, folks break out a light therapy. They, they mm-hmm. have them in their bathrooms where they um, get dressed. They have them on their desk at work. Light therapy, do those lights, that do they work? We see them in stores. We can order those online too. They work best in combination with melatonin for people who are night owls, so people who naturally have trouble falling asleep and trouble waking up in the morning. And for us in Minnesota where it's, you know, we don't see light. I don't see very much sunlight in the morning when I get up, um, 7 o'clock, 7.30 in the morning. And even if it's after the sunrise, it's often cloudy, right? Right. So, mm-hmm. yeah, bright light in the morning is a great idea. Uh, Dr. Michael Howell, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Any other encouraging words to folks who are trying to to get that good sleep? Um, Just uh, keep working at it, practice, and I hope everybody has a good night of sleep tonight. Oh, thank you. Uh, Dr. Michael Howell, you can see why he's one of our favorite guests, a neurologist at the University of Minnesota Medical School and with M Health Fairview. Uh, Dr. Howell, thank you again for joining us. We'll have you back in a few months. Oh, my pleasure. Okay, thank you. Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.